Good evening. It is so good to be together and how exciting it is uh, that just from this morning's announcement, uh, when we look at your interest already in Facebook, we're up to 217 likes. We're up to 128 followers on Twitter. And to think that uh, that increase of well over 100 in each area has just been in the last few hours. Uh, we want to encourage you to continue uh, to follow, to like, and to stir that up. And keep in mind, it's because that when next week rolls around and we're, there's opportunities to go and listen to this, either through streaming or archives, that base is built there of awareness. So please, uh, this is as important as door knocking so far as it's... it's I won't say that. It really is an easier way to get people to listen to the gospel preached. So uh, just as important as it is to go to the door and ask someone, uh, this is an amazing opportunity that if they become a follower next week, they're going to have over 12 times that they're going to get a notification and all they have to do is push that button and they can hear these questions answered. And it's really amazing. Uh, it is exciting. The 4 o'clock meeting... Uh, the fellowship room was packed and so were thousands of brochures and uh, it is exciting to know that we're at this point in the campaign and there's such great involvement. Uh, we want to encourage you at noon uh, to be praying every day. Hopefully you'll pray more often than that, but how wonderful will it be to know that as we pause at noon and pray that there will be hundreds of others praying also. Uh, we do want to remind you that each evening, including next Sunday evening, will be the main session each evening will be here in this auditorium. In other words, putting it very clearly, next Sunday evening there will not be a service in this room at 6 o'clock. There will be a simulcast beginning at 5.45 and you're really encouraged and welcome to be here, uh, but our main session next Sunday will be in this room at 7 o'clock. So please make note of that uh, and, and remind each other of that as the week approaches. With that in mind, there will be an early and a late session Monday, starting Sunday. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We're asking you to go to one of those. Uh, either 5.45 or an 8.30 session. And so that we know we can all fit in the room uh, best, uh, we encourage you to sign up for that. So please don't go unless you've signed up. Guests are welcome to come. We'll ask our own members to scoot out of the way and even come over here to the simulcast and uh, if we need to for, for that purpose. Uh, but we would hope that 75 of you each session would sign up for that. There is a table in the middle of the foyer there. If you go out those doors, I don't think you can miss it. And so there may be, uh, just like this morning, one of you mentioned to me the question you asked, and I said, hey, that's not going to be answered in the main session. That's going to be one of the other sessions. You might want to go ahead and sign your name up so you'll be there in person for the question you've asked. So you may want to look at that tonight, and uh, there may be a particular topic that you really want to be there live and in person, and that's understandable. And so be sure and please sign up for that. All the sessions will be simulcasted here unless it's in this room, and all of them will be live streamed. So make note of that so you don't have to miss anything and uh, we look forward to the great good uh, that can come out of this and all the glory be to God. Second Greatest Commandment Day has been such a blessing for us throughout the years as we have learned and been greatly encouraged 
about great works that is being done in the brotherhood. We've also learned of ways that we can be involved in these great works. John Michael did a tremendous job this morning preaching, and he did a tremendous job also in leading a work that's giving us the opportunity to be involved on a local basis in the lives of those uh, that simply need help as the school year will begin next month. We want to remind any of you uh, to be sure and look at the board just out in the foyer. The supply in July is available. If you want to take one of those packets, be sure and write your name on the post-it note and leave it in place of the packet. And that's a wonderful way to help. And we appreciate uh, so much uh, the opportunity that God gives us to touch the lives of others. I appreciate also so much John Michael uh, coming back after a long and hot campaign and flying in late last night and then getting up this morning and preaching and uh, just doing a tremendous job. Appreciate his life, appreciate his sacrifice. We're also very thankful that tonight Lytle Thomas is with us from Nashville Inner City Ministry. Lytle has done a wonderful work throughout the years. Uh, 1979, this ministry was started with his wife Sandra and himself as well as a supportive eldership and many volunteers. He and Sandra married in 1967, and since then they have raised 15 foster children. So this isn't just a job for him. This is his heart. This is what he's devoted his life to. Uh, by trade, he was a mechanic, and he was a volunteer youth minister. But as he started participating in an inner-city ministry, it was going so well and demanding so much, he eventually quit his job as a mechanic to work with this ministry full-time and now over 1,200 children are served every week in inner city ministry. Also a church has begun, the inner city church of Christ and even has its own elders uh, out of this work. Also there are a thousand volunteers working at any given time uh, with this ministry. They have 22 full-time and part-time workers as a part of this and also out of this ministry here in Nashville other inner city ministries have been spawned in Chattanooga and Montgomery, I think in Birmingham and probably some other places also. I would like to share with you one more bit of information that uh, it was really, it made a huge impact upon me. And I know many of us here have worked with Inner City and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to do that. The other day I was at a gathering and Sheriff Darren Hall of Davidson County stood up and spoke. And he described how cities build their jails based on population. So a certain size population has so many beds. And so that's how Nashville built theirs. But what has happened over time is that Nashville needs less and less and less beds to the point that they were closing down floors and eventually even buildings. And then even other cities were contacting them to contract their beds that they don't need. And then he said, there is one person in Nashville that has had more to do with the fact that we do not need beds than anyone else. And that one person is Lytle Thomas. The sheriff of Davidson County said he and his ministry 
is making and has made since 1979 a huge impact upon our communities. I love Lytle for a lot of reasons and what he does for a lot of reasons. And you'll hear this tonight because he can't talk about it without saying it. He never sees his ministry as taking the place of the family. He sees the inner city ministry all about strengthening families. For him, it is all about an individual, a family, and a community being brought to the Lord. And I appreciate so much what he's done through the years. Uh, the only way to accomplish what he has accomplished is, I guess, two things. One is the blessings of God all the way through it. But second, living it for a lot of years. And I'm thankful that he's done that. And I'm so thankful that whenever we called him and asked him, could he be here tonight, that his answer was yes. And I'm also thankful to be able to say one more thing to you on behalf of the elders. They've asked for me to mention to you that as you're stirred tonight with the message, as he preaches a lesson to us, and also as he shares about inner city ministry, uh, you will probably want to help. And so there will be a collection in Bible classes next Sunday morning. And so think about it, pray about it, and I would say, remember the words of our Lord in the book of Proverbs when He teaches us in the 17th chapter, verse 19, that when we give to the poor, that we are lending to God. And I encourage you, uh, do not let this be something that, that uh, we look the other way, as in the story of the Good Samaritan passed by on the other side. I would encourage you that each of us listens to this with a heart of compassion and simply ask God, uh, what is your will for us in this? Lytle, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, David. Sitting here this evening, my mind went back to about 1955, I guess it was. As a young man, I went to worship at a gospel meeting at the Spencer's Hill Church of Christ in southern Murray County and went in and sat down as always did. I grew up in a family of preachers. Uh, they were good preachers. They just didn't know when to shut up. They nearly made an atheist out of me because they dragged me. We'd always have to go. When we laid by crops, y'all don't know what that is, but during the summer when the farming was over and we put it in God's hand, we'd go to church every night to hear one of these uncles preach. So we went to Spencer's Hill that night and I went in, David, and sat down and Sister Brown Foster sat down behind me and the song service started and that lady started singing. I was converted to be a Christian that night listening to her sing. I thought, that's the way heaven's going to be. And it's not something I want to miss. When I sat down here this evening where you're singing, I want to congratulate you. That's why the Lord said, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and in spiritual songs. You sounded good. So Alan Bryan used to say, you got me so excited I could fight hell with a water pistol after singing like that. <laughs> You're on track. And I appreciate it. And I want to say to the young people, I saw all these young ones around here this evening, and I want y'all to listen to me, kids. Inner City Ministry we'll talk about tonight and forever was started with 16 teenagers just like you. They were probably uglier than you are, but they were just like you. <laughs> I want you as teenagers, I want to challenge you to do something. 
I know your parents get on your nerves. And they can get in your way of trying to do things the way you want to do things. But God knew what he was doing when he gave you parents. I want to challenge you. Every day of your life, before you go to sleep at night, you pray a silent prayer from your heart to God Almighty, thanking him for your parents and asking him to watch over your family. You underestimate grossly the luxury and the joy and the blessings you have of having a good family, Christian parents. You're taking it for granted. You do not have the appreciation you need to have for that. I remember when I was in Saigon and serving as a military policeman, it always troubled me when I would drive by the trash dumps and there would be large numbers of children on top of the trash dump digging out trying to find something to eat. Don't underestimate how important your family is. You're blessed. Act like it. Remember your family in prayers. I want to accomplish three things this evening. I want to thank you for your support. We couldn't do what we do in inner city Nashville if it was not for congregations like you that put us in your mission budget and send us contributions so that we can have the money to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, so that we can be there to run those buses and the gasoline is going up and it's expensive, to pick up those boys and girls and bring them to learning centers where they can be loved. It costs money, it costs a lot of money. And you make it all possible and I want to say thank you for that. I want to say that Tonight, I'm going to try, the second thing I want to do is I want to try to put before you an effective display of what we're going to do that's going to be a once-in-lifetime opportunity for Christian families here in the Middle Tennessee area. We have a dream, and this dream is to see that every boy and girl, Saturday and I started back in 1979, and our goal was to see that every boy and girl that grows up in Nashville's inner city will have the opportunity to go to Bible school. And we can see now that coming to fulfillment. With what we're going to talk about tonight, you can see how it worked. It's going to involve every family, every family of believers in the greater Nashville area. It's going to involve you with your money. It's going to involve you with your blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to spread the gospel to every family and help people grow. And the third thing I want to do tonight is get out on time. I learned from my uncles. I'm not going to do what they do. We're going to get out on time. Bow with me, please. God Almighty, we thank you for this church, for its leadership. We thank you for your spirit here this evening. We thank you that we have these few moments to be together. Help me to be able to communicate this message the way you want me to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are at a point. When I started, one of my goals was I wanted to be able to put before the city of Nashville an effort that was sponsored by the Churches of Christ out doing ministry and working and touching the lives of people that news media and non-believers would have to admit, look what great things God has done. And that's happening. It is so good. We, I was one day eating with some, uh, uh, the, there were some religious leaders. 
they call themselves, I'm not used to their titles, they were priests or bishops or I'm not familiar uh, with all their titles and where they're from and the consensus of that meeting was the churches of Christ are taking the lead and we look to you to reach the poor of Nashville's inner city. Brother, that's something. When you have a denominational world turn to you and say, sick them, you know how to do it. Please keep up the good work. That's what happens when Jesus said and he prayed that we'd work together in a spirit of unity and then the world could see that we were believers in Christ. The world would see that he is Lord. We would be different when we work together in the spirit of unity. We'd be different than all the world around us. Because everybody else complains, fusses, fights, feuds, get along with it. Brother Larry Cantrell a couple of Sundays ago preached a sermon to our church at Denver City Church and he said, so many of us are addicted, we are addicted to drama. And that's what's happening. You turn on television, all you see is drama. Everybody kind of capitalize on something exciting. And you see that happening. And we're at a point now where we can see that God is making a difference in our city. God has always used families. Don't underestimate the importance of families. And I want the fathers to listen to me tonight very carefully. God has always used families. When he got ready to sustain life on earth in human being of his creation and the people had gotten so far that every thought of their heart was on evil. He chose Noah to go build an ark. I sure am proud, David, he didn't call me to do that because I can't imagine how much a challenge that must have been. But how big, God does big things and he does them in a big way and he gets great people to do those things and God, but God used the family when he got ready to save mankind. When he got ready to bring Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses and Moses told Moses, you go and you bring the people out and he says in Exodus the second chapter and third verse he says tell the whole community of Israel tell everybody for them to put the, uh, on the tenth day of the month each man is to take a lamb for his family one for each household that is God knows what he's doing God has a responsibility for you to just be a daddy God is, is expecting you to be the spiritual leader of your family. Get this now, I want you to understand this. God gave us the family first. He gave us the church to save the family. He gave us the government to protect the family. But our family is God's small group. Fathers, we need to understand this. And fathers, please understand this point. When you're in the workplace, you have to be right. If you don't do your job right, you get fired. We understand that. But when you leave the workplace and you go home, here's what I want you to get. Some of us don't get it. When you go home, the goal changes. No longer are you going to be right. When you go home, the goal is to make your home a happy, spiritual, healthy place. And it's not going to happen by accident. I want to challenge every father here this evening. Make your home heaven on earth to where your children want to come to. In ministry, I see so many children. Their home is nothing more than hell on earth. I don't want that to be offensive to you, but that's the best way I know how to describe it. 
and the home are being broken down. So I want us as parents and I want us as fathers to step up and take the responsibility that God has asked us to do. Because see, when we let our home fall apart, and if you want to see where America's going, look at the inner city. Inner city is about 20 years ahead of where the rest of the country's going. Satan knows what he's doing. He started 20 years ago or 30 years ago destroying families in the inner city. And now we are seeing single mothers trying to raise children and the family's gone. They don't even have a meal together. And it destroys that community. We can see clearly that God gives us a warning in Malachi when he says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Church, we need to take heed to that. We need to be a people that understands that the family is important. It's more important for you to raise your family in the Lord and take care of the needs of your family than it is for you to get rich. I do a talk show on public access and I interviewed a friend of mine from Murfreesboro. He was a high-powered salesman. Made all kind of money. He was on airplane to airplane to airplane and he was jumping all across the country and he was making money. Made a lot of money. Bought his children cars, bought his daughter a nice sports car. I was going to Louisville, Kentucky one day and he was with me and he said, when we get over this next hill, I want you to stop. And so I pulled over, what's going on? He said, this is where my daughter was killed in a car wreck. Driving in the car that I bought her under the influence of alcohol. And she lost her life. He stood there and cried on the side of that interstate. And he said to me, all she wanted was me. I was trying to give her things and all she wanted was me. Daddies, love your children. Make it a priority to take care of your children and make sure that your children are spiritually fed. And I know that it may be a little awkward. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Bible teacher. Maybe you don't figure, you may just can't, not real comfortable in handling the scriptures. You get with these shepherds. That's what they're supposed to do. Let them help you train your children. Don't hesitate to go to them for help. They got a staff here. They got people who will help you train your children because Satan is going to attack your family. Satan's going to destroy our country. American families are in trouble. Satan has been attacking our families since, I got this off the internet. I don't know how accurate this is, but I got it off the internet. It says, since 1973, Roe versus Wade, there have been 56,900,000 abortions. And you think Satan's not attacking our families? He's going to destroy our country. And we have more people out saying abortion's fine. Murdering an innocent baby is fine. Satan makes good people believe lies. We have become a selfish nation. We've become a nation that is filled with sinful desires. That it has corrupted our families and destroying our youth. 
Somebody has got to take a stand. Research in our own ministry with our own people tells my staff that children, now listen to this, children as early as three years old growing up in dysfunctional homes, at-risk situations, stop taking in new information as early as three years old. And they do it to protect themselves. A young man one night stood and we was talking in Bible class and having a discussion and he told about the time that he sold himself to homosexuals to get enough food, money to buy food to feed his little brothers and sisters. That's an indictment on the churches of Christ if anything ever has been. We have got to be there. We've got to identify those families. We've got to identify those children. We've got to be aggressive. We've got to be there. We've got to knock those doors. When you go out this week, if you're not involved in this campaign here in Mount Judith, get involved. You can't sit on a stool and do nothing and whittle on the peg of do less and expect Satan to go to sleep. Satan is not going to go to sleep. He'll take your community away from you while you stand by idly trying to make money. We have to be a people. Our children attend school, but they're not pupils. Larry Cantrell calls them, they are just visitors. And tragically enough, and this will offend somebody, and I don't want to offend anybody, but my experience and what I've seen, I was having lunch with one of the judges, uh, Judge Bell, African-American lady, and I told her, I said, Judge, this is going to offend you, but I just have to say it. I said, we are closer today of going back to the plantation than I thought we would ever see in my lifetime. And she said, Rachel said, you didn't offend me. I believe it. I see it every day. We are finding more and more families thinks it is the government's responsibility to raise their children, provide for their children, and take care of their children. How can they know anything else unless we go teach them? There's not another way. Jesus told us and made it very clear. Jesus said unto him, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. No man comes to the Father except by Jesus. Now that statement offends people. I have a 11 year old, I think. She's gonna be 12 this week, uh, she'll remind me. Um, and she's attending a middle school there in South Nashville. And she's in class and she said something about Christianity in class and God Almighty. And her teacher said, don't say that in here. You can't say God in this classroom. You can't say Bible in this classroom. You can't say Christianity in this classroom. And, and she's a lot like her grandmother. She's a little bullheaded. She said, why can't I say that? I've got the right of freedom of speech. Why can't I say that? She doesn't do too well in school. <laughs> I went to school to have a meeting with the teacher. She and I both got thrown out of school. I had to send Larry Cantrell back to get her in. I was, I, well, that just happens. It happened to me more than on her. I've been thrown out of a lot of schools. I just don't do well. The teacher told her, those words make me uncomfortable. Church, Jesus is the only answer. 
Easy, I'll answer. You're talking about asking 12 questions or one question or some question. When we started doing surveys in the inner city, man, this is long ago. This is back in 79. We'd go out in the community and we'd do Bible studies and we'd ask five questions. And each question would get a little more difficult, a little more difficult. And the last question was, who wrote the most books in the New Testament? Started out, who was the first man? And most people tell us they thought that was Jesus. You know, they didn't have any Bible knowledge to draw from. But when we found somebody, David, that answered all five questions, they were a member of the Church of Christ. We must be a people that takes Jesus out of this building, out in the community where people live. We gotta go and touch those lives and I encourage you to get in this campaign and get your family involved in this campaign. Don't let the time pass you up. Get your children, teach them while they're young how to knock doors. Teach them while they're young how to hold Bible studies. Teach them while they're all young to know what they believe and why they believe it and develop their own faith and stand strong for their own convictions. That's okay. Working together with churches. We've been able to reach across Middle Tennessee and touch the lives of so many children. 800 to 1,000 kids. And in a learning center, those children come and they come to that learning center hungry. We feed them. They come to that learning center angry and we love them. They come, some of you worked in our learning centers, they come unlovable and we love them anyway. We learn that it is through conflict we teach our most effective lessons. And as Christians, sometimes we forget that. If we get outside our comfort zone, it makes us nervous. We need to be outside our comfort zone. Dr. Ann Hudgens told me this. If we don't challenge our comfort zone, if we don't challenge the boundaries of our comfort zone, some of you timid people, now this is, listen to this. If, some of you daddies, listen to this. If we don't challenge the boundaries of our comfort zone, our comfort zone will strangle the life out of us. Our learning centers, little children come, and you know, a lot of the children, a lot of them, that's the first time they'll hear a positive thing said about them that week. They are being used to cussed, criticized, and run down. And it's good for that we can go with Christians and bring them in and feed them and love them and encourage them. And we're not doing something that's so uncomplicated. We're doing exactly what Jesus said. He said, go out quickly in the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Jesus said, go get them. Churches working in learning centers touch the lives of children. When they can sit down with a child one-on-one -on -one and validate that child that God does not make junk. We have, I think David said a while ago, we have a thousand volunteers in a year's time to work together. We need 4,000 because the challenge is that great. It's an army and we're God's army. Each week children are picked up, buses and transported where love prevails. Our God is a good God. Mayor Dean said last July, August, August, at one of our luncheons, based on his research, one out of every seven people that live in public housing in Nashville, those youths are affected by and served by inner city ministry. Darren Hall says we are the reason he's closed two jails. Now remember that night he said he had dreamed in his lifetime he could close one jail. When they brought the guru in here to 
project how many sales they need to do. They base it on population. And Darren laughed and said they forgot one thing. They forgot to figure in inner city ministry. All the cities around us have all the nonprofits, except they don't have an inner city ministry. Your ministry of the churches of Christ is making a difference. We are successful because we're doing what Jesus said do. We're going and transporting them. When we saw transportation a problem, it's expensive, but we're transporting them. And we are building long-term relationships. This morning I saw a man come in to worship. He is a career criminal. Four years ago I visited him when he was incarcerated. That's all right. Let him go, brother. That's all right. He'll preach one day. He doesn't bore me anyway. I don't blame him. Look like some of my kids going wrong. I got it. Went to a basketball game at Gallic High School years ago when I was younger. And those little boys can play some basketball, I'm telling you. They came down the floor full speed. And Ashley, who's now 32, she was a little young and she ran out on the floor. Just like he did, ran right out on the floor. Those big guys come down that floor full speed and the five starters at McGavock High School at that time were all enrolled in inner city ministry. They were all our kids. They came down the floor full speed. Roger, it didn't miss a lick, man. One of them run by and grabbed Ashley and ran the sideline, pitched her over to one of the girls there and went right back in the game, kept going, they didn't even stop the game. <laughs> there is a way. We got to this seating, this setting that you see here on the screen. We need to be able to reproduce that over and over and over. We got to looking at what we was doing a few years ago. About six years ago, I got to looking into our staff and I said, this thing, see when I started out, I wasn't gonna have a building. Last thing I wanted was a building. I wasn't gonna have another building. We had too many Church of Christ buildings in Nashville anyway. If one on every corner, the greatest danger you have on Sunday morning is getting run over a Christian going to worship somewhere. <laughs> and I didn't want another, I didn't want another church building. So we started using all the other buildings. Barry Bryan said that it kind of like the football fields, cost way too much and use way too little. So I said, we'll use them on Monday night or on Tuesday night when the church is not meeting. And I thought that was a good strategy and it served us well for a long time. Those children have grown up and we have baptized them and married them. And now they're coming to us and saying, how am I gonna be a husband? Teach me to be a husband. Girls come and saying, teach me to be a mother. Teach us how to be a Christian example to our children. Because they didn't have a role model to follow except what they'd seen in the ministry. So it made it clear that in order to teach everything that Jesus said, everything, teach everything to obey all that Jesus had taught us to teach them, we was going to have to have a building. We're bringing the small children and they'll still continue to go to those learning centers and that'll work great, but the teenagers drop off. They quit going and we're losing far too many. And so we want to be able to keep those teenagers and keep them all the days of their lives. We realized we didn't have a place for fellowship. We didn't have a place for training. We didn't have a place for family development. So the board got together five years ago and said, hey, we're gonna find a facility for us to move into. Randy Walcott found a facility out off, out off of um, Ellington Parkway, and it was a dream come true. That big building right you see right in there, that's not a good shot, let's get, that's better. And so Randy found that thing and we went to George Tomlin, a GBT realty. George is a very successful developer and we didn't have any money. I went to George and said, I got a dream, I don't have any money, but I need this building for God Almighty. George bought the building. 
Now, he didn't say for us to not pay him back. He, he made it possible to get it because we could have never qualified on a loan to buy that property. It's 12 acres between Cleveland and Douglas in East Nashville, right in the neighborhood where we need to be. Church, this thing is such an opportunity for us. I ask our staff, uh, did that move or did not? Uh, I ask our staff to sit down when we started this search and write down the things they needed in the perfect building and take money off the table. That's the only time I've ever said take money off the table. And they wrote down what they needed and we carried it to Joseph Binkley, an architect, and said draw up what we need. He drew up a building, 83,000 square feet. We walked into this thing, it was 93,000 square feet. Right to the left there on that screen downtown is downtown less than a mile away. And across the railroad tracks in the back of it, you see that green area there? That's Cleveland Park, 20 more acres that we can have exposure to to help train children. Right south of the building, you can see a green spot there. It's three acres, that's gonna be a playground. We're gonna be able to involve every church in the United States that wants to come can bring their young people there and move into this building and help us reach our city. It's that kind of challenge. We paid 2.9 million, it's gonna cost us three million to build it out. Ty Osmond, Solomon Builders, they are agreeing to build it out for us. It cost, that's pretty good. It's gonna be around $64 a square foot. Most buildings will cost you $260, $64 a square foot to build out. This is what it's gonna look like on the inside. Now you can't see that clearly, but you can come down and visit the building. You can call me and come down or get Kenny at 255-1726, extension 301, and he'll set you up a tour to come down and I'll give you a tour. I want to see you when you come and we'll show you the building. I haven't had anybody yet that looked at it and says, oh, this, they all say this will work. A congressman came in the other day and looked at it. He said, this needs to be a charter school. Brother Cantrell said, well, not one thing wrong there. Charter schools won't take our children. Because see, we're working with the children that's been left behind. They've been kicked out of their family, been kicked out of the churches. I went to a meeting, uh, Chief Anderson had a, they have a pastor's meeting, and I went to the meeting and got there and had all these preachers there. And I was proud to get out of there. I was afraid the Lord's gonna come back and I was gonna be there. So he, he had that meeting. And they were talking about reaching the children in their community, and they got up one by one and started trashing our children. They ain't coming to my building. One brother got up and said, I let them in my building and they stole my sound system. I've seen his building, he don't need a sound system. It's too small. The children need to be loved. How are they gonna know not to steal unless we teach them not to steal? We've gotta be a people that will reach out to them. Each one of those rooms, there's six rooms there in that building. Each one of those rooms is the size of a half of a basketball court with a 20 foot roll up door. See, what we're going to do is we're going to put tables in there. I told you earlier our families don't eat together. We're going to set the kids at a table and put a master teacher at the front of the room and then they will come out with a statement that they want them to talk about like, how do you know when you're losing your anger? And they'll do some scriptures on anger and they'll throw it out to the table and each table will have a discussion leader sitting at that table. And they will sit there and talk about how can they learn to control and discipline themselves to control their anger. And they'll go around the table. 
Every child will have an opportunity to participate. For the first time in that child's life, they'll have the opportunity for somebody to listen to them. That's going to make a difference. They are created in the image of God. They are special. And they're going to be taught that they are special. Brethren, I'm telling you, this thing is going to work, and it's going to work beautiful. And the reason it's going to work is because God's going to bless us. We're going to have a commercial kitchen. We're going to have a clinic. The clinic wants to come in from down at the rescue mission. They said, we want to come and put a clinic in there. If you'll give us a space, we'll pay the price for the clinic. We'll have all the insurance. We'll provide the doctors. Get this. We want to be there on Sunday morning when the inner city church gathers because that's when you're going to have your largest group of people in the building. We want to minister to them. We'll do homework. We'll develop all the skills. Judge Sheila Calloway, who's been elected to the juvenile court, she says, I want a place to send children. When mother's out at the club and the police pick up the children, they bring them to juvenile court. And if, they, if mother's not found in four hours, they have to incarcerate the child. That's the law. But she said, I'll have them bring the children to Apex. And then y'all can go out and look for the mother because y'all can find the mother. And we'll bring that mother in and we'll start talking to her about what were you doing in the club while your children's running around on the street? It gives us a chance to witness and talk to her. It'll be a safe place for thousands of volunteers to come and work. And the inner city church can meet there. Do you realize we've built this inner city congregation and we've never had a fellowship meal? Brethren, if I can start feeding these inner city people, we can pull out some turnip greens and cornbread. I'm here to tell you folks, we're going to pack them in. We're going to teach people and we're going to baptize them. We can have an adult Bible school. We can have special training on things like financial planning and help them not to get themselves in so much trouble. Next week, you're going to have an opportunity to participate in that. And fathers, I want you to think about this. Just as a warning, I want you to, as we read earlier in Malachi, I want to challenge each family here to do this. I want you to go home and sit down as a family. Don't just come next Sunday and write a check and throw it in the plate. Don't do that. Go home and sit down as a family and you talk about sacrifice. You talk about as a family how much you want to give. Do that as a family. Don't let Satan destroy your giving. See what Satan does, he has got us to the point that our Christianity oftentimes operates inside of our capitalism and that won't work. What we want our do, we want our capitalism to be inside our Christianity. When our capitalism inside our Christianity, we will give accordingly. If we give with our Christianity outside our, our capitalism outside our Christianity, our wealth will be a witness against us on God's great judgment day. I want to leave this message with you. Two things I want you to do. I want you as a family to sit down and decide how much you're going to give. And as a family, I want you to decide to come and visit. You're in this campaign, you don't have to come this week. I want you to come and visit this center. And by doing that, you'll see what God can do. 16 teenagers say we're gonna put God first in all that we do. We're gonna put God before our parents. We're gonna put God before the leadership of the church. Well, I talked to the leadership and they was all for it. And I talked to the parents and they was all for it. Those 16 kids started making a difference. There is so much that we can do. Our God is a good God. I finish every sermon this way. God has done his part. And he really has, church. 
If not, what more do we want him to do? God's done his part. Jesus knows all about our secret sins. He knows all about our problems. And he's saying, come on, come on, come on. If you've got sin to stand between you and the Lord, we want to ask you to just please come down front and talk to these elders about it. You may not reach a conclusion tonight, but let's start talking about it. Well, Chief Sarpash told me that one time. He said, if you're just getting on the table and start talking about it, great things will start to happen. We weren't talking about sin. I want you to come and let the elders. God has done his part. The church here at Mount Juliet, oh, you're trying hard to do your part. May not get it all right. May not do it perfect. But we want you to know we're trying. And we care about you. And there's nothing more important than you. We want to touch your life with the blood of Jesus. We want you to be happy. If you hadn't been the kind of daddy you should have been, why don't you come up here and let the elders start praying for you. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, why don't you do it tonight? Nothing's more important than do that tonight. Please let us help you.